Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Shoe Speak HR. Um, and this is one which forms part of our mini series, Back to Basics, on various HR topics and processes. Uh, hopefully, this is a good listen for anybody new to the world of HR, but also a reminder for, for those who are a little bit more experienced um, and have perhaps forgotten more than um, some people know. So, what we're going to look at today is a brief look at the disciplinary process and an overview of the key issues that arise when an employer is faced with a potential disciplinary situation. So, Amy Leach, do you want to start us off by explaining uh, what a disciplinary procedure is? Hi, yeah, thanks, Andy. Um, so, a disciplinary procedure is basically a formal way uh, for an employer to deal with an employee's um I suppose, either unacceptable or improper behaviour. So if you're looking at kind of a misconduct situation or potentially um, a performance or capability situation, um, maybe where it's not one that's kind of caused by, say, um, illness or something that should be considered more for a sickness absence type process. So I suppose most managers in your business or, or whoever kind of would conduct these processes, depending on the size of your business, will at some stage have to deal with misconduct or poor performance by an employee. Um, and if you're following a fair, transparent and consistent disciplinary process, this helps uh, managers basically reduce the risk of potential unfair dismissal claims, breach of contract claims, discrimination claims, all the usual stuff that employers can be faced with sometimes where these processes go wrong or there's a lack of process. So employers have a duty, um, I suppose worth noting, to give employees a, a written statement of main terms and conditions of employment. So that's normally in the employment contract. And one of the particulars or a couple of the particulars that need to go into that um, is in relation to the disciplinary process. So it must include details of any disciplinary rules and any procedures applicable to the taking of dis disciplinary decisions or a decision to dismiss. Um, it can be in the contract or it can refer the employee to some of a, a reasonably accessible document. And we find that most commonly that's the approach people take. So your contract might refer out to look at the disciplinary procedure in the handbook or the disciplinary policy, et cetera. Um, the written statement, so again, normally the contract will specify who the employee can raise an appeal to um, and if they uh, that's if they're dissatisfied with any disciplinary decision um, and I think one of the points we see quite a lot around disciplinary procedures and policies is whether they're contractual or not and we've touched on this in one of our previous episodes about policies and procedures more generally um, in that we want to try and avoid having contractual procedures particularly in relation to uh, disciplinary because it just if it is contractual and the employer accidentally or on purpose even decides not to follow part or all of the procedure it could give rise to a breach of contract claim um, and that claim could be one that an employee has even if they don't have that magic two years service and can't bring an unfair dismissal claim so it just causes a bit of a headache if we get into that situation so where possible um, we always try and advise that you have a non-contractual disciplinary procedure so it gives you that bit of flexibility to depart from it where appropriate in the circumstances is. And I think on that note as well, it's probably also worth flagging that most employees will know that disciplinary procedure policy inside out when mm -hmm. they're involved. So to the extent that there's a deviation away from that, two and two often results in five in terms of how the employee interprets it. So, you know, if there is a policy, um, you know, kind of very much worth following that and making sure that 
you know, kind of you are being as consistent as you can. Um, Amy Anderson, what what are the potential scenarios then? I guess that employers face when when managing a disciplinary situation. I suppose in terms of disciplinary action, the first the first that when faced with a disciplinary scenario, I think the first thing for um, employers to consider would be actually whether or not formal action is necessary, or whether the whether the matter whether the issue can be dealt with on an on an informal basis. So informal discussions would just be kind of more of the day to day conversations that a manager has with an employee about a, a particular conduct concern, and these are generally appropriate where an employee has committed um, misconduct for the first time or fairly fairly low level um, fairly low level misconduct, for example. Just being being late on on one occasion, you wouldn't necessarily expect that to automatically escalate into into formal into a formal disciplinary issue. So I think that's that's the first thing to think about because I think sometimes people can be really keen, employers can be really keen to rush into into discipline like formal disciplinary processes when actually the matter would be kind of nipped in the bud and everybody like the employee would would take it kind of take the messaging better if it wasn't obviously formal disciplinary going to an investigation and, and the rest of it so sometimes it definitely takes a step back and think actually what is the best way to proceed with this can we do it informally um or should it be should we progress on to on to down down the formal route i suppose the flip side to that is also making sure that you do take formal action when formal action is necessary because i think sometimes it, it does come across my desk where businesses have done their best to deal with things informally and had several informal conversations with an employee and and the issue the issue remains and then suddenly they're like well what do we do we want to dismiss we want to do that we want to do the other and actually when you take a step back you say well have you done have you gone down a, a formal route and given a warning have you done xyz and they haven't done any of the formal stuff which would then form it therefore make it quite difficult to suddenly move from informal to a to a dismissal for something that has that's just that's been ongoing for some time so definitely not all that helpful, but make sure you're informal when it needs to be informal and make sure you're formal when it needs to be formal. Um, I suppose on the, on the formal side, generally what this involves is if if you do have an employee that's committed an act of, of misconduct, then doing an investigation into that. So speaking to relevant witnesses, speaking to the employee, gathering any documentary evidence that you have. So if you were dealing with, say, a lateness issue, for example, you would look at the, the the employee's lateness record, the reasons that they gave for being late on each particular occasion. You'd speak to the employee about that. You might speak to the line manager about it, etc. So making sure you've done a thorough investigation. If there is a kind of a case to answer for, for the employee after the investigation, what you would then do would be proceed to proceed to a disciplinary hearing. So when you're inviting an employee to a disciplinary hearing, um, the invest- the invitation letter should set out insufficient information, the allegations which are being made against the employee, so that they have the opportunity to prepare and, and are ready to address the allegations that you want to put to them. Um, it should also set out kind of the, what the potential consequences of the meeting and also obviously their right to, to bring a companion. Following the disciplinary hearing, you then need to um, communicate the outcome in writing to the employee. So that could be a warning or that could ultimately be their dismissal from the business. Thanks, Amy. Um, Really helpful. I also think, you know, just to pick out there, in in terms of the allegation, I think as human beings, we we are intrinsically nice and and we don't like to kind of say things that are going to upset people. For example, a client of mine once suspected... um, an employee of theft but instead of saying we believe that you have stolen x they referred to uh, suspicious uh, activities um now suspicious activities has never been a gross misconduct offense theft is 
um, thefts it squarely there. Um, yeah. Or you, see, or you see random words like misappropriation come out and you're like, just just say it how it is. Yeah, exactly. Call a spade a spade, um, you know, in terms of what the allegation is so that there can be no dispute, no question marks about what that allegation is. So that's that's certainly something that most organisations should, should take into consideration. Um, and the other thing is, you don't have to pigeonhole it into something. Um, if if there is a list of gross misconduct offences within a you know kind of a formal disciplinary procedure, but this doesn't quite fit in, don't feel like you have to sledgehammer it into one of those categories. Just call it out for what it is. Um, but I guess moving on from that, the the two main components uh, in terms of a decision for any organisation is is whether the allegations are going to be upheld. And if so, what what that sanction will be, um, you know, and and again, it, it's worth thinking out aloud in terms of when you when you make that decision to to explain what you have taken into consideration. Is there any mitigation? Does that mean that you know, kind of, whilst ordinarily the offence would be a gross misconduct on this occasion, we're going to issue a final written warning because we've taken into consideration X, Y, and Z. Um, so it is giving that particular detail. Um, and, and and as Amy Anderson referred to, it, within the decision letter as well, helpful to, well, not helpful, compulsory to provide the employee with an opportunity to appeal um, and sensible to kind of stipulate that within any appeal that it is a requirement that full grounds of the appeal are because, again, you know, kind of it can become a, a long drawn out process if you don't fully understand why the individual is appealing. And actually asking an employer to nail their colours to the mast and say, these are the reasons I'm appealing can in itself kind of almost dilute any any potential arguments they have. Um, any appeal should be dealt with without unreasonable delay. Often procedures will have five, seven days included. You know, again, try and keep to those timeframes wherever possible. But if you can't, keep the employee updated, you know, kind of send them a note, explain why so-and-so can't um, deal with it currently. It may be because of annual leave. It may be because of sickness absence. You know, these things happen, uh, but communication is king. Um, the appeal officer should always be somebody who's not been involved um, and in a more senior position to the original decision maker um, to, to almost, you know, kind of, make the point that actually that decision can be overturned somebody is of a certain seniority where you know kind of they're not going to be scared to make that decision because they're not upsetting their boss or anything like that so that's how how those things or kind of those appeals should be handled um one other quick point and i suspect this will be music to the ears of, of hr professionals listening is that both the disciplinary and the appeal should be done by by line managers or management it's not HR, it's not in ordinarily, it's not HR's role. Um, and there is case law out there that, that says actually HR is a support function. It shouldn't be making these decisions. Um, so that's just something to bear in mind. And like I say, I'm, I'm sure that is music to the ears of HR professionals, but obviously you you will often be sat in on the meetings and, and supporting the managers, making sure that they follow the right process and, you know, kind of link it into the procedure. So you don't get off completely scot-free, but um, that said, you, you shouldn't ordinarily be the decision maker. Um, so that ties up our Back to Basics refresher on the disciplinary process. So thank you for listening. Um, as ever, we're always keen to, to ha receive any feedback. Um, so do get in touch. 
best method is shoespeakhr at shoesmiths.com. Um, like I say, we'll, we love the feedback and we also appreciate any um, requests that you have for future episodes. Thanks, Amy's. Thanks, both.